Welcome back to another exciting episode of Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people where we talk about critical issues in the blindness community. My name is Aaron Richmond. And today's episode, like all others, is copywritten by me, Aaron Richmond, and Aaron's Opinion. This episode can be found almost anywhere you get a podcast from iTunes. And of course, we're on YouTube, uh, along with Facebook, uh, Twitter, and you can even consider following us uh, on Patreon. Um, so today we are joined by someone who happens to be sighted, and uh, you are, uh, he is an executive coach in a company that basically helps agencies and companies to, you know, be, you know, global and cultural and truly, uh, truly reach their full potential. His name is Michael King, and I came across his uh, videos on Facebook, and he joins us now on our podcast. How are you doing today? I am great. Thanks for having me, Aaron. My pleasure. So why don't you start out by telling us, you know, how you got into, um, you know, making that, making that video, how you got into executive coaching, what all of it means and everything, you know, everything like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I come from, my background is, is basically my journey was I, I started off, um, post-Bible college as a recording artist and found myself working in church leadership for quite a while. And after a period of being in, in church leadership, I just felt like I was maybe possibly sitting in a seat that um, I wasn't getting the best traction for my life with. I felt like the, the leaders and the people that I was coaching, um, that I was getting a little bit more traction outside the church. And so I wanted to dive in more to find out a language that I could lead better with. So I went back and I got my master's in executive coaching and organizational leadership. And one of the first things that I, that started to just be really big aha moments for me was that there's a significant difference between the leadership and the rest of the world. Part of that has to do with the lack of cue or emotional intelligence. And um, I think humility is something that is a trait that's missing from a lot of high-level leaders right now. And so it's pretty close to my heart just because I think our employees and our team members are our biggest assets that we have when we're building an organization and when we're working with the team. But a lot of times... I think sometimes we get lost in actually how to manage those relationships because we're a little bit more task driven than we actually are results driven. And you can't be an effective results driven leadership without managing your relationships well. Sure, sure. So you find that basically companies are, are too concerned with, with profit and result and they aren't really concerned as much with the greatest resource of all, which is the people, right? And um, okay, so and if someone in the audience wants to like ask um, a question such as what is executive coaching? How would you define executive coaching? Yeah, so executive coaching is when I come in and there's really three different levels that I work with within that space, by the way. So, mm -hmm. so an executive coach to where I'll have a relationship with an executive team or an executive within an organization and I'll help them discover some areas of opportunities uh, and maybe even some noise and distraction within their head. I'll help them find clarity and then set up, you know, a very clear systems and strategies as far as the ways that they're going to move their organization forward. 
and make sure that they can get to a place to where they're getting momentum and they're experiencing complete synergy across their organization. Okay, so exactly how do you go about doing all of that though? Do you ask questions? Do you survey people? How do you go about, you know, figuring out all of this information about the executive? How do you, how do you actually correct this problem? Well, you know, it's, it's, first of all, it's not necessarily always about correcting a problem. Right. Um, I, I'm a hundred percent the biggest fan of the idea of finding the best version of whoever I'm working with. So if I'm working with you, Aaron, I would sit down and, and I want to get to know you. I want to hear about your dreams and your aspirations and your vision as far as what you want to build. I would also probably give you some personality assessments. I'm a, I'm, I'm certified with the Enneagram. So I use that a lot um, as well as strength finders and just different things like that. But to really find out the way somebody's temperament or their personality is wired, how they relate to other people. Because a lot of times it's not necessarily that a leader is in, inept or a leader isn't capable of doing the things that they want to do, but it could be that their relational skills or even just their personality, it might be an area of opportunity for them to grow through it. Right, right. Yeah, we, I've heard of this quite a bit and I've seen it, you know, a lot too, where you have people who might actually be very good at their job. They might have all of the knowledge, but they may also have personality, you know, issues that kind of get in the way of them right. re reaching, reaching the potential. Yeah, this is quite, um, quite common. Um, so my background is that uh, I studied international relations in university. And about a year ago, well, I've been, I've been a teacher for five years, for one thing. And about a year ago, I got into podcasting, because I felt that there were not enough um, approachable podcasts uh, for the blind community, for blind people and people with disabilities. And I'm someone who has a lot of complaints and I love to talk to people and educate people. So I felt that, you know, since I want to do that, why don't I just, why don't I just talk to myself since I have these ideas and those ideas, you know, came into a podcast and then it developed, you know, upwards, uh, upwards from there. But I think, um, well, actually, um, have you, have you worked with any executives or have you worked with any companies, um, who hire and have had experience with workers or people with, with disabilities? Well, I, because of my background working within, mm -hmm. within, within the church world, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of diversity and a lot of awareness of, of ways that you, that, uh, ways that I've worked with people that, um, that sit within different disability scope. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the answer to that question is yes. I'm not exactly quite sure uh, what, how could be a follow, what would be a follow-up question to that? Well, um, I mean, I would just want to know if you have had, you know, you know, experience working with companies or maybe working with a particular executive or leader who happens to have, um, you know, who happens to maybe have a disability or something, something like that. But I, I, I understand. I, I, I do understand. Yes. Um, okay. Um, and what have been some uh, interesting companies that you have worked with? You know, I've worked with different companies that, uh, from different IT firms to large um, auto dealerships. I've worked with 
uh, different church organizations, currently working with some Aveda hair salons in the Midwest. Um, pretty much, oh, I, and um, a tile and floor company I work with. Pretty much anything in which there's a service industry provided in which a, a larger team is involved, those are the types of companies that I'll specifically work with. Hmm. Excellent. Um, and is there any, uh, have you found there to be any correlation and, you know, any, is there any particular industry that you find uh, maybe is, is, is susceptible to these types of, um, you know, executive issues that you work with, or is it really any company? Uh, basically I'm asking, I mean, have you found that all companies um, have to go through these things or is it any particular type of company that is more susceptible to these issues that you work with? What do you think? Well, I think personally, even just for myself, I'm, I, I am an executive coach, but I think all top-notch leaders should have a coach. So even myself, I have a coach and that third party perspective of, a, of having somebody alongside of you to help you see things that you can't normally see on your own is so crucial. And, um, and I think specifically where problems exist or areas of opportunities exist is that if a leader gets quarantined into the environment that they're familiar with for a specific amount of time and without extended resources or influences, but the expectations continue to rise, eventually that leader is going to feel quarantined and they're going to start to spin out. And that spinning out could be either emotional, psychological, spiritual, even in their health. So having somebody alongside, like for me, example, and the reason why I do talk about things like the last video that you're referring to, it was a, it was really, it was a video just on the idea of the, one of the best things that you can do is to admit when you're wrong. Um, the reason why I talk about things like that, and even though for some people it could be a very simple idea, but high level leaders, they don't stop to think how they can lose credibility by wanting to stay in the lane in which they're always right all the time and they can never be corrected. And that's one of the worst ways for a, lead, a leader to Sure, sure. Um, but but the, the, the truth is that every leader has, every person has their, has their weakness, their, their Achilles heel. So yep. really, if you figure out what it is, any, any leader has it. Uh, obviously, they don't, want, they don't want it to be visible. But since everyone has a weakness, you know, you're going to find out anyway. In the end, it becomes, it becomes apparent. At least I would think. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that's where the safety net comes into place is that none of us are perfect. We all have Achilles heels. We all have areas of opportunity that we can continue to grow. <laughs> the thing that I love about what I do is that a lot of times it's the simple things are the things that take us out. So those, you know, by, by, when I'm able to work with a leader or a team and able to address some of those soft skills and some of those things that might be overlooked because you're looking at a bigger problem, generally you're able to, to chip away at some of these things that are causing bigger problems. Right. So it's about observing the, the small, the, the, the little details that can be overlooked 
Um, it's about solving those, those, those de looking at those details. And then from there, um, you know, really, you know, really solving these, this type of the, the, these, these situations. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, and what other, you know, what other things does your business do? What else can you tell me about, you know, your, your coaching business? Well, there's really three tiers of operations that we do. And it's kind of a reverse engineering process a bit just because, um, especially right now and during COVID, and just even how you and I connected, is that a digital presence and digital assets and making sure that you have a very clear digital presence, it has to be priority. And... It used to be nine months ago, it was that, it was that a brick and mortar um, operation was the essential in your digital presence was the optional. And now it's completely the other way around to where it's the digital presence is the mandatory. Right. And your brick and mortar is kind of optional. So um, we're working with a lot of companies, a lot of organizations right now that, that want to have a very clear and cohesive communication strategy when it comes to uh, creative storytelling, creative story branding, their marketing campaigns, because whoever tells the story best are the people that win the culture. And so if we reverse it backwards from there, the people that tell the best stories are always the best teams. And so when I'm working with a team, I'm looking at business strategy. I'm talking about systems. I'm talking about culture. I'm talking about self-awareness. I'm talking about how can we really get in with the team, make sure that everybody's in the right seat doing the right thing and that it's not overcomplicated and which always ends up. So who's leading the best teams? It's always the leaders that are the most innovative, the ones that are the most creative, the ones that are the most approachable, but the ones that lead with clarity and have the clearest vision. Those are the ones that lead the best. Sure, definitely. So th th this might seem like an overly obvious question, but I think it's interesting to think about it. How have you found that, um, you know, the, the pandemic has affected uh, business leaders around America? I mean, obviously it has, but what specific or interesting things um, have you noticed, uh, you know, from the effect of the, of the pandemic um, in your, whether it's in your coaching business itself or whether it's when you work with leaders, how are they, I guess, how are they, how yeah. are they going about handling this whole crisis is what I'm, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, the leaders that, the leaders that had a digital strategy put in place before they got to COVID are the ones that are flourishing and the ones that are just now coming to the table, deciding that they're going to put priority in digital resources are the ones that are, that are fumbling a little bit and some are recovering, but all of a sudden, you know, I can tell immediately from, from the 10,000 foot view by looking at an operational budget within an organization where their priorities are right now, especially when something hits in the middle of a fiscal year, a lot of these companies that didn't have anything, you know, set aside for digital resources, they're feeling like, Oh man, we can't really even start to build this thing until January one. Well, it's too late. Like you need to be in the game now and you need to reorganize your priority. Here's what I mean by this, Aaron, is that, is that, you know, like, for example, like your typical business who's operating to, you know, six months ago, somebody who was just in your customer service department might not have any digital responsibilities 
built into their job description at all. Like it could be just they're, they're a, a very focused employee doing one specific thing. But an organization that desires or needs to create priority in digital world, it means that everybody in the organization needs to have some sort of micro digital responsibility. It could be as simple as, hey, anytime that we post a post on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, or whatever your social platforms you're using, everybody in the company shares it because this is what we do. Hmm. It's extremely, I, I understand you. Yeah, that's extremely interesting. I've never, I mean, I've never thought of that. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 29 years old. I've worked for my company for five years. Um, I've never, you know, worked, as you would say, in a brick and mortar. Um, it's, that's kind of a long story that gets us off track, but I've never given that much thought. I've never, it would see, I guess, so I guess that's something that you, that you do have to tell people, um, because that, that would not occur to me that you would have to actually tell people to, uh, you know, maintain a, a, a digital, a digital footprint or a digital, a digital, digital presence. Um, I mean, I would just think that people would just say to themselves, well, we should probably, we need to do that. Like that, that should be, I, apparently it's not common sense, but to me, that would seem like something that would just pop into my head. Oh, well, we need to make sure we're doing that. Yeah. And I, and I think it's not necessarily that people want to shy away from having a digital presence. I think everybody at some point in time in the last, if you're a business owner in the last 15 years, you've probably figured out like, oh, we need to have a Facebook page and we need to be on, on have a website. But where we're at now is breaking that down into a micro behavior in which every employee can have a part. That's the difference of 2020. So let's say you're working with a, a large company, maybe 500 to 1,000 employees. How do each of those people have a part? I, I completely understand what you're, what, what, I, I understand what you're saying, but I also, you know, in all of the teaching work I do, podcasting work I do, I kind of do struggle to see how you could create 500 different responsibilities out of, out of this concept of, of digital, digital presence, I guess. Yeah, it's not really about coming up with 500 different responsibilities. It's about creating a culture of in inclusion. And You know, I think some of the big companies that I absolutely like that have big, like Starbucks, for example, the people that work for Starbucks, they're fans. Does that make sense? I, I mean, are you saying that people who are, who are employed by Starbucks are or should be supporters of the company like that? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes they should. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's, and, and that's where it's, it's a, I think there's a, there's quite a bit of gray area in this. It's just because when I say we're not, I'm not looking for an organization to have inclusion, whether it's a small business or a big business. All I know is that a company can massively increase their social media footprint and also break the algorithms of social media by encouraging their employees to just simply share a post once a week and actually talk about that in the culture of building the business together, opposed to just, see, I'm not looking for a responsibility. I'm just looking for ownership. And when you allow somebody to say, you can make a significant difference here, we're willing to compensate you um, and put this into your job description. 
it's a simple thing, but it has massive implications. Sure, sure, definitely. And what have the results um, of this practice been? Well, here, I'll give you one specific example of this. And this was actually sure. because we deployed in a church environment. And so this has a significant bigger um, implication. So this one specific church that I was working with uh, out of the Midwest, they really hadn't launched their social initiatives much. They didn't have much of an online presence. And so their algorithms was keeping them identified to a very, very familiar audience. And so you kind of get that. Like when you log onto your Facebook page or whatever, it's the things that you look at the most are the things that you see the most. Exactly. So, so these guys, you know, they launched a video on a Sunday morning and then at the end of their service, one of the leaders in the church gets up on the stage and he's just sitting in a room with 500 people and he says, okay, everybody get out your phone. Hey, if, you know, if we're all in this together, you know, we have a really important message for our community. So we just ask that everybody log on and everybody click share on this video. And so within a minute, 150 to 200 people shared content from a singular source and it immediately broke out of their algorithm and they increased their audience their, They increased their overall social media engagement by 4,000% in one week. Amazing. Yeah. I totally understand you. Yeah, definitely. All of those, all the members in the congregation have hundreds of friends themselves all over the world. And then those friends pass it outwards and then it, it just expands outwards like that. Yeah. It's a very, um, I can definitely see how that would be overlooked and I completely agree with the idea too. It's a really, you know, a really critical idea. Sure. So do you have a, just in general, do you have a particular um, theory for sharing information on social media, such as when I, when I post, well, when I post on Facebook for my show, Aaron's opinion, it's a, it's a public post because I want the public to see it. But if I need to share other information, I just post, you know, to my friends, because I know that the public, does, the public doesn't care about me if they aren't already friends with me. But can you maybe expand on that and explain that a little bit further? What have you found to be truly the most appropriate strategy for knowing how to filter content when you when it's shared and posted? Uh, you know, I wish I I'm, I'm still learning a lot as I go too. So, I mean, I have my own personal. Things that I'm, I'm currently trying to work out, you know, from the, is that especially like posting a podcast, typically people care more about who you are than just what you're going to say. So be okay with living, you know, I have my leadership brand that I'm, I'm pretty consistent with. But I think even the people that aren't necessarily connected to my leadership brand, they're, they want to know what's happening behind the scenes in my world. So I, I guess what is your, sure. I mean, I guess what is your personal opinion about how you, for, okay, for instance, let's say um, you're watching the YouTube of this episode and let's say you want to share it on, on Facebook. Would you share this video with the public or just with your friends? I, because of this video, I would share, because of what we're talking about in leadership, I would share this with everybody. Okay. So you personally would share it with the public, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Now, if it's something to where it's like, 
you know, it's just depending on what it is, you know, if it's a private moment that I captured with my, you know, with, with my kids and, um, you know, and that's, it's not something I necessarily want to have visible to the rest of the world, then that one might be a private thing, I suppose. But, um, but that's something where, you know, you just have to be careful, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly the problem. It's very hard to tell which one, you know, how, how to handle it. I don't know. When my, when I post for my show, it's public. So my, my, I do public posts from my shows page, but then anything else, I either don't post it because I know most of my friends probably don't really care, or I post it to my friends because those are the people who would care if they did, you know? So I, I don't know. It, it tends to, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, my kind of my, my personality and my perception of, of, of society too. Um, and someone yeah. else, yeah, yeah. And someone else on my podcast last night was going off on kind of a, 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 a kind of a long, a bit of a discussion about the fact that there's all these new rumors about there's going to be new federal laws about, you know, these tech giants and about the, um, you know, different, different censorships and, and things, things like that. Um, and I kind of said that I think that that's not really going to work, that people are going to use these platforms forever and they're going to post whatever they want. But do you have any, any particular ideas about that, about that topic? You know, we live in a world that constantly changes. So um, I just think again, being informed as far as, you know, where, where things are heading and making sure that, you, you know, be an innovator opposed to a reactor um, I think is really key on this. And so, yeah, I, I think that's really all I can really share about that just because I'm constantly trying to stay up to date as far as what are the new things that are coming out sure. and making sure that I'm, that myself and my team are fully completely educated on the best ways to utilize the streams of communication. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. That's excellent. Um, Okay. Well, very, well, very good. And what are some, I always like to ask guests some more lighthearted questions. It's, it should be an educational and lighthearted podcast. What are some of your, uh, what is a hobby that you do that I would not expect or that no one expects you to do? Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and um, I'll go ahead and just kind of info blast you with, uh, sure. with all the things. And then, um, and then I'll have to, I to hop off here in a few moments but comes to all things Mars. um so me and my son love like just go to premiere movies for for any type of superhero movie superman is still my favorite superhero of all time though even though he's dc and uh, i loved a longboard so mm. me and my son we longboard a lot and uh and so yeah so that's that's kind of the the things that we do and then i'm a foodie so whenever i'm traveling i look for any any tea, any restaurant that's been on the any of the Food Network shows, and I immediately try to track down where those restaurants are at. Awesome, awesome, totally, totally agree with you about that. If someone wants to get in touch with you and your company and what you do, please give yourself a plug if you want. How, how would they do that? Yep, I do so. My website is teams.coach. Um, 
And so you can find out a lot about my, my methodology as far as how I work with teams and how I work with leaders through, through my website. And also just friend me on Facebook. So it's Michael King. I'm an executive coach out of Omaha, Nebraska. And, um, and yeah, please just track it down and would love to, um, would love to share content with you. And I do have, I, I do resource giveaways every single week. Um, I, I love being able to help leaders and organizations get to the next level. Perfect. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Um, and if you guys have any questions for me, you guys know how to do that. The email is aaronsopinion6 at gmail.com. Uh, thanks so much. Um, and I, I, am, I end every episode of the same by saying, help one person today, help one million people tomorrow. Have a good day, everybody.